Hey, do you want to be like me and make podcasts that everyone loves? Yeah, you do. But chances are, you don't want to spend a bunch of money doing it. No worries. A solution exists. Spotify's got a platform that lets you make podcasts super easy, then distribute those podcasts everywhere, and you can even earn money doing it. All in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Also, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. I'm speaking from experience when I say that all those additional features like video podcasts, Q&As, polls, those are things you won't find for cheap elsewhere. But with Spotify for podcasters, it's all totally free no catch. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Thanks. We love you. Everybody, welcome to Pretty Scary. Pretty Scary Boo, Kim was supposed oh, to say. Boo! <laughs> Pretty Scary Boo. I was like, oh, did we rehearse something? <laughs> People always forget. It's fine. I Kim. Don't we've ever done that, have we? I think we did. We've definitely done some episodes of Pretty Scary. I know that. Yeah, I because... just don't think I've ever booed before. Well, welcome, welcome to your first time. Hey, everybody. Kim Crawl is here. Hi, everybody. Yay. Hi. Yay! How are you, Adam? I'm sick, but fine. I'm not sick with a needle in my face anymore, so there's that. That's insane. But now I just got a little bit of a cold. So we are talking about an episode of Fear Thy Neighbor. This is one of my favorite true crime shows, because usually it's just kind of a thing where you're like, I don't know who's going to die here, but it better be one of these people. Because it's usually just bad people being bad to each other, and it finally comes to a head. And you kind of like, you you get both sides, usually. Right. Like, usually you get both sides. Like, yeah, I get why that guy was pissed, and I get why that broad was pissed. But go on. Sorry. Yeah, I would argue in this case, it's not that. No, There is a not at all. clear victim and a clear aggressor here. And I think the victim had a perfectly good reason to be upset at every step of this situation, which makes this a very unique episode. And it probably plays into why, according to a website called Episode Ninja, that tracks <laughs> TV shows using data. That's all it says. Which, Yeah, that could be nefarious. This is the highest rated episode of Fear Thy Neighbor of all time. Oh, wow. So... Yeah, that would it scared me. You've sent me a lot of stuff over the, you know, the last like couple of years where I have to where, where I get to watch before this. And normally it's like, 
ooh, scared. Like it's, but this like, I had to take a break. Yeah, this one is intense. It's season three, episode four. It's mm-hmm. called Tunnel of Hate, which as it turns out, very appropriate title. And this is one of those episodes where they don't tell us the location of the crime or the real names of the people involved. But don't worry, baby birds. We'll get to that. We did some sleuthing, which it took like three minutes. You just Google. It's a very easy process. No matter Which is how- weird. Why'd they use other names? Because it isn't like, cause don't they normally use the correct names? Sometimes. What's weird here is, and I have this later in the notes, but we can talk about it now. They put a bunch of the names in quotes as if to imply, hey, this isn't the person's real name. But one of the people they're interviewing, the name in quotes is Cyril. Mm -hmm. And that's just the guy's real name. It's Cyril Wecht. He's like the most identifiable and recognizable forensic pathologist in true crime history, maybe. Like immediately I was like, oh, that's Cyril Wecht. And they had his name as Cyril in quotes. (laughs) And I think it's, I don't know if they were giving us a clue as to how to find the real identities of these people. I don't know. It's weird. It's weird. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. So for now, all you need to know is that we're talking about two people who've recently purchased homes in a transition neighborhood. I love that description of two obvious gentrifiers. (laughs) Yeah, it's yeah. It was like, oh, you're trying to make the neighborhood white. Got it. One woman literally says they were trying to make the neighborhood great again. She did say that. I was like, yikes. I wonder. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I did a comedy show not too long ago, and a girl who was in the audience came up to me and a Tiff Myers and said, uh, your sets were really great. Make comedy great again. And we were both like... What? That's one way to put it. Yeah, what? <laughs> Thank you for coming out. Good night. Yeah. Please don't talk to us anymore. <laughs> you did your compliment. Now move along. It was very weird. It's very weird. So Becky Sampson, that's the name they give one of the people in this episode. She's an industrious woman in her 40s, talented, hardworking, just like me, but for girls. I'm a boy. Girls. (laughs) But I'm also industrious and hardworking and in my 40s. She bought this home with the intention of renovating it and living in it. And this home she bought is attached to another home. And right off the bat, that's kind of my nightmare. Like, why own a home, like an actual home, if you're going to have neighbors that close? Yeah, why not? I I just figured, I assumed because it was a rundown neighborhood and both of the homes that were attached were really run down. I just assumed that was probably all she could afford. Yeah. Because like that was probably like but, it. Yeah. yeah hopefully but even that. then I would be like, maybe just buy an apartment in a big city. Like buy a condo. I feel like that would be the same amount. Yeah, at least then you'd have a little bit of protection against yeah. what happens next. So this home she bought, it's attached to another home. She does not own that home, and it's vacant and run down. And I will give this episode of Fear Thy Neighbor a lot of credit for getting pretty much all the details of this story right. Like, they even do a good job of showing what these homes look like. We'll link to some articles about the actual case. And in one of them, they show the homes. And it's pretty much like they show it in the episode where on one side... It's clearly been renovated, intended to, and on the other side, it looks like it's from the set of an apocalypse movie. Yeah, which 100%. that would bother me. 
I think. Yeah, that's I was thinking when before before I was like, why didn't she just fix this up and then rent it out and then buy the home next to her? I mean, that's such like a privilegey thing of me. Like, why didn't she just buy both? And, you know, you know what I mean? Like, because it's like, well, then she could have just lived in the rundown one and rented out the other one that she just. Right. But. Part of your thinking there is probably influenced by the episode, because at one point she does offer to buy his house, too. Yeah. So I think she has the means. Yeah. yeah. So just buy them both and rent one out. Live fucking mortgage free. That would yeah. have been smart. I mean, not to victim blame, though. <laughs> no, we definitely just did. <laughs> you know how you avoid getting murdered? Buy two houses. Yeah, you buy both the houses. It's your fault, honestly. No, this is <laughs> this is a crazy ass story. So... The good news is someone moves in. A guy named Ken James, according to the episode. Quote, Ken James. Ken James. At first, I thought they said Kevin James. And I was like, that's a weird fake name to give him. That's like Adam Sandler's pal from all the yeah, shows. I was like, isn't that a guy somewhere that it's we the know? the King of Queens guy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So Ken James, the neighbors they interview in this episode describe him as a bit of an oddball. And yeah. I th that's obvious by the end. But oh, yeah. At first, I don't know what exactly they're basing that on. I mean, yeah, because like, I feel like at first, like they liked him and like she they had this project where they like she introduced him to all of the neighbors and he was like charismatic and excited to bring up the name, make the neighborhood great again. <laughs> 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 yeah, they but say he was an oddball, but also that he pretty quickly became president of the housing club, which yeah, I don't like the sound of that. That's yeah. where people in the neighborhood get together and talk about ways to make the neighborhood even more great again. Yeah. By somehow not allowing anyone but white people to move in. To the Probably. Yeah. yeah. It's that's... like the 1997 version of next door, basically. Yes. So yes. <laughs> took me a minute. <laughs> and so at first, Becky and Ken get along. Ken becomes president of the housing club. But that's also where things start to go awry eventually. But again, at first, they get along really well. The defining difference between Ken and Becky is, I would argue, Becky knew her limits. Yes. And I say that strictly in terms of renovating a house. There were some things she knew she could do. And the things she couldn't do, she just hired them out to a contractor. This is sort of a blanket statement, but you would argue that this is sort of men and women a lot of the time. Like, you know, the how husband is like, I can fix the sink. And the wife's like, let's just hire someone. You know, what? it's just very fun. Like, it didn't shock me at all that this was because Becky was like, oh, I know how to do this. I'll hire a roofer. I don't know how to do that. Yeah. And it sounds like a blanket statement, but it's not because I'm definitely the let's just hire someone like mm -hmm. you don't want me monkeying with the like electric wiring in a house just so we can save what like 150 dollars on and having also your ego that's yeah. a lot most of it's that oh no that <laughs> i don't yeah i don't care anything about that i am more than happy to pay people to do work for it's like an actor doing their own stunts it's like why do you want to put a stunt man out of business like, yeah and also why do you want to potentially break your leg and then put everyone out a bit out of work for a while while your leg heals because you needed to jump from building to building come on yeah i have yeah. responsibilities to meet my wife can't have me risking putting this standing desk together that i'm sitting at right now i paid someone to do that oh was, really i mean you try putting a standing desk together it's not as easy as it sounds there's electronics I'm pretty, involved. I'm pretty handy, so. 
I mean, uh, all right. Oh, wow. <laughs> Just blow up our whole premise. We were on the same page. <laughs> I think we swept roles in here. Like, I'm the you like, became, typical Yeah, male you became energy. the guy. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, I can put a standing desk together. You ever done it? No. But I could do it. How hard could it be? <laughs> Very hard. I won't ask for directions. Yeah. <laughs> it's a night. It was a nightmare for the person I paid to do it. So as a result of this, his repairs that he promised to make are taking forever because that's kind of the big dispute here. She's bought this house. She's fixed it up and it's attached to this eyesore. And this Ken guy comes along and buys it. So she's like, oh, great. Finally, someone's going to fix this house up. And then it just never happens. Oh, and it gets worse. Yeah, it not only does not get fixed up, but it starts getting worse to the point that it's impacting her home also. Mm -hmm. And even worse, he buys two more properties in the neighborhood. Which is so confusing. Yeah. Have you looked at this guy's financials or his background and how he could afford to buy three houses? I should have done that. I couldn't find any of that. But that is a question in the episode. People are wondering how he's able to afford this. But he probably just had, you know, parents who threw money at him. Yeah. That's how it usually works. I want, yeah, I wonder what his parents, normally they interview someone's family member in this sort of thing. Yeah. I don't know if I was was interviewed. If I was his family, I don't know if I'd want to be too involved in this, but. I'm good. He's yeah. good. Yeah. You know the story. It's fine. But yeah, he buys three more houses and he's demolishing this house. Like, it's like, it's almost like a cokehead, right? You know, like starts this one project and then it doesn't go the way they want. So they've knocked down all the walls, but they're like, fuck it. I'll just start knocking out this thing over here. That's not working. Fuck it. I'll just start sawing some new, like it, it watching it and then reading about it is like the rantings of a drug addict who's just like i'm gonna paint this house never mind i'm gonna do it you know what i mean like just like not a stable human yeah and they mention on the episode that it's not just that he's not making these repairs but what repairs he does attempt make the house worse yeah which that's bad times and (laughs) again i can understand why this woman would want him to take care of that shit because you've just yeah. bought, you know, you bought your first house. You've done all the work to make your half look right. And then it kind of is once you take over a building like that, it kind of is on you to not only fix it up, but do it quick. But yeah, he didn't No. So the really big problem is the roof. She paid to install a big fancy new roof while Ken's roof is completely in disrepair to the point that when it rains, water starts seeping into Becky's home. And that is obviously a thing someone would be angry and concerned about because there's not many things that are as destructive as water seeping into your walls. And that's the thing, though, all the way up until this point, there was never a moment watching going, that was a little sensitive of her. There, It sounds like from the very get-go, she was like, hi. And then when things were kind of going weird, she still was like, do you need help? I have so-and-so that, you know, help me with mine. Like, you know what I mean? Like the, the whole time there was never a moment where I was like, no, I can kind of see that she was being a little nitpick because some neighbors are nitpicky. Yeah. Not once. In fact, she was kind and trying to help him and then being like, okay, cool. So this is what you're doing. Great. Well, I'm going to go inside my home now and play the piano and like. Yeah. Which again, that's what makes this episode so rare. There's no point where she does anything where I'm like, all right, you've crossed a line. Like, it seems like she's just trying to compel him to do not only the right thing, but the thing that would be in his best 
interest. Like, why did you buy two extra homes instead of spending that money on fixing up the home you bought? That's insane. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's no logic. It's the kind of thing a person should be nagged over a little bit. Like, I would have done something way like I would have done something in that area that would have made it be like, well, maybe she shouldn't have done that. You know what I mean? Like, because. It was bad before she did something. And I also don't think I would have known legal things to do. I would have had to really Google, like, what do you do about your neighbor? Because, you know, when you own a place, it's that's the hardest part. You don't have, like, a landlord to be like, you got to get this guy out of here. It's like, it's really these two people own this place. And whoever has the resources or the, yeah, the resources to, you know, win, wins. Yeah, I mean, the best you could do is get a lawyer and hope that they know what to do. Yeah. So things come to a head at a housing club meeting where Becky initiates a vote to remove Ken as the housing club president, which Ken had to see coming, right? I mean, everything we know about Ken, no, that guy doesn't seem like he's playing with a full deck or has a lot of self-awareness. So someone like that, I would imagine be like, what? This is literally out of nowhere. You know, like, yeah, I do wonder like you would have seen it coming, but that guy wouldn't have seen it coming. You know what I mean? Right. And I do wonder, like that part where he becomes president of the housing club, like did they I feel like he was being a little crazy in that moment, too, because they talk about him giving this pitch for all these things he wants to do for the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like someone who's a little bit manic and maybe like cocaine fired up about things. And for some reason, this neighborhood was just like, yeah, that guy should be our president. But also like you and I know that because we live in a big city where we know people who are in a manic coked out state. Like we've seen that like, uh, but this is like a small town in Pennsylvania. Like they don't in the 90s, it's not like they're like, that guy's probably coked out and he's out of his mind. It's like, this guy has a vision and he seems like a leader. You know what I mean? Like, there's yeah. an air of like ignorance, I would say, or like naivete a little bit of like, is naivete a word? I'm really proud yeah, of myself. Dude. Sure is. So now Ken's mad mm -hmm. because he feels like the whole community is against him and that it's Becky's fault. And he's right about like three fourths of that. But the community's mad and it's Ken's fault. Yeah. Becky essentially 25th amendmented this guy, which is yeah. the amendment that allows you to remove a sitting president if that motherfucker's crazy and can't keep doing their job. Like she basically won. pulled that on Ken and he deserved it. It is an interesting like like the nar like it's like that's like the textbook narcissist, right? Being able to charm a whole room weirdly because then once you find out what kind of like like not well in the head person they are it's like how do they do that in the first place that's like a that's a narcissist yeah. ability to do that like be able to charm everybody fakely you know so and then completely become unhinged Oof. eventually ken's place falls into such disarray that it starts attracting rats oh, and that's God. the point where i would have gone militant on this dude because i I can't stomach rodents in my home. And also, she did, like, you mean militant, like, maybe set something on fire or, like, flip out. I'd murder she Ken. Just, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I feel like I would, yeah, I would. I would I stuff know. a rat down his goddamn throat. <laughs> but she called someone. She called the city, right? She called the housing authority. And Which is, the, is that the city? Is yeah, that, like, that's, yeah. like, who you would call if, like, your neighbor was. Right. And okay. they come out to inspect Ken's house. And they tell him he needs to make 
tens of thousands of dollars in repairs and that he has 60 days to do it. And he doesn't have the money to make those repairs. So now we're at an impasse. And it gets worse when Becky takes him to court and he's well, ordered. Becky offers to pay for it at that point, right? Before they go to court, she offers, I could buy that house off of you. No, that that happens. Uh, yes. Later. Well, we're, you're jumping just a little bit ahead. She takes oh, Ken to court. He's ordered to pay $49,000 in fines on top of all the repairs he still needs to make. And that is when Becky offers to buy the house, which seeing as how he already had two other houses to tend to, yeah, it says a lot about him that he didn't just accept that obvious and easy way out and just yes. focus on his other houses. But he doesn't. Like, what were the neighbors at the other houses? Were they just as like freaked out or was it just like they were kind of dormant houses? And Well, they were all part of the housing group that would like that was all neighbors who all lived in the same neighborhood. So the people who <laughs> voted Ken in as their president are the same ones who voted him out. And so they're all involved in this. Just, oh, okay. They just didn't have the same experience, like the extreme experiences. Yeah. Their house wasn't attached to Ken's house. So it wasn't okay. as dire for them. But he, yeah, he does not take the suggestion that she buy his house well at all. Mm -hmm. He accuses her of trying to run him out of the neighborhood. And so the final showdown comes in the form of one last court date. Where Ken That's gets his appeal, right? Yeah, he gets to appeal his $49,000 fine. And the morning of that court case, Becky does not show up. Neither does Ken, which red flag. It's an immediate red flag. Mm -hmm. Becky was supposed to ride to the courthouse with other neighbors who were also testifying on her behalf. And when they show up to pick her up, she doesn't answer the door. So one of them heads to the courthouse and starts asking around. And not only has no one seen Becky, no one has seen Ken. So, uh-oh, they call the police. Police show up and they help a neighbor break into Becky's home? I don't know. I, Why didn't I the police just do it? I feel like that just at like the warrant situation. Yeah, Like maybe. later, if something like if the cops are like, well, we kind of need probable cause. Her just not showing up to a court date isn't probable cause for us just to break down someone's door. Yeah. And the neighbor probably is like, I'll climb through the window. And the cop is like, that's a gray yeah. area, but climb through that window. And you know that police report's just going to say, we knocked on the door and a neighbor let us in. Yeah. There's going to yeah. be no mention of, we helped that neighbor break into that home. Yeah. But in this case, it's fine. They don't find Becky when they go in the house, but they do find a whole lot of blood, which is alarming. Mm -hmm. So they go next door and they kick Ken's door in. They find his house not only in complete disrepair, but there's also a bunch of caged animals everywhere. Dead and alive. Like, and then that you haven't brought up the python yet. Oh, yeah. He's a snake guy. I forgot yeah, to mention that. python at some point in there. Which that... Python money could have gone to fix that roof, probably. That's not a cheap animal. No. Oh, God. That was part of why I had to turn it off for a little bit. I'm I'm not, like, actively afraid of snakes, like, out in the world. If I see them, they don't really freak me out. But just sitting in my home and picturing one climbing, like, cr like slithering through. Like, right now, I'm, like, looking at my floor being like, there's no snake in here. You have not pissed off any neighbors. Everything is fine. But, yeah. Ugh. And, like, whenever someone has a snake as a pet, I'm like, yeah, that's that's your choice. 
It's oh, interesting. Man. It's always they none of them have anything in common, but they all have something really weird and specific in common. You know what I mean? Where it's like, yeah, I picture you having a snake, but I can't pinpoint why. Yeah, I I had an aunt who I had to live with briefly after a house fire and she had a python and at one point my father had died and it was the night before his funeral and I got super I was 17 and I got super duper drunk on vodka and orange juice to the point that I fell asleep like on all fours in front of the toilet and when I woke up the next morning that fucking snake was right at the door like sizing me up like hey can i eat this i think i can eat this i bet i could eat that oh god oh that really i like want to run around my apartment real quick i just got the (laughs) there was another incident where i was in their bathroom just taking a shit and my cousin knocks on the door and goes hey be careful the snake's in there oh and i was like no it's not and then i looked up and it was coiled around the top of the shower i'm so freaked out by that yeah i don't like snakes i don't like them I don't like them. I don't care for them. Yeah, not a fan. When I was was 25, I was going through some kind of quarter life crisis, I guess. I don't know. So I started dating this 20-year-old, and my friend (laughs) met him, and she was like, what the fuck is that? He's a child. I think he might have been 19. I don't know, but he had a big-ass snake, and I used to sit at his house and, like, sit on his bed in my underwear reading while that snake would just, like, slither around, and he would be like, I can leave. And I remember one, oh, ah, I watched him feed it once. I don't know what... And then one time, this is the end of this guy and I, we were laying in bed one night and I felt something lay next to me. And I was like, your snake's in the bed. Your snake's in the fucking bed. You've got to get the snake out of the bed. And he turned on the light and it was some girl naked. And she was like, what the fuck? Who the fuck is this? And then it turned out he had fucked her. Like, I mean, he and I weren't boyfriend, girlfriend. We just like hung out. That is not where I thought that story was going. I thought it was just going to be the snake there. I mean, I'm glad it wasn't. I don't think I would have come back from that. Like, oh, just like, I mean, like, literally, like right now I'm like glitching. My body is <laughs> thinking about all of the things you just said, thinking about that snake, thinking about this nut bag with his snake. Oh, I don't. Yeah, he's got a snake and he's got a bunch of caged <sighs> animals that they think he was probably feeding to the snake. But God, just go get them as you need them. Why do you have? All of them in cages, you fucking weirdo. I feel like he wasn't playing with the full deck. It seems like maybe not, yeah. (laughs) I feel like, yeah. But also they go over there and they find that Ken is there, which is surprising. They didn't think he was just going to come out and be like, hey guys, what's up? But he sort of does, but also he's barefoot and his feet are covered in blood and he's very dirty. And so they got questions. And the first one is, why weren't you in court today? And he says, because I was going to lose. And so, fair enough. They take him outside. And while they're taking him outside, he goes, you don't want to go in there. Please don't go in there. So, of course, they go in. How funny would it be if the cops were like, fair enough. Just keep the noise down (laughs) in the future, sir. Thank you. Honestly, wouldn't be that surprised. Yeah. Wouldn't shock me. Yeah. White guy? Of course. It's fine, sir. (laughs) And so, of course, they go inside and one of the cops follows an extension cord that's in the house down to the basement. When he gets there, not only does he find even more animals piled in cages, but he also finds a tunnel connecting Ken's house to Becky's house, which, woof, that's got to be the nightmare if you share a wall with someone. Like, my neighbors could do that to me. I'm in a townhouse. nightmare that you ever have thought about until watching this like yeah it is not easy to tunnel through concrete and then 
dig a life-size hole to the other side and then tunnel through more concrete. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, yeah, how did he do that? It took some effort and she didn't hear it. She didn't hear when he was doing all of this work or she maybe did and just assumed he was maybe finally making all of those repairs that he was oh, supposed yeah, to make. There was so much noise that she yeah. said or that they said that she heard, but it was like, so he probably got away with it because she just assumed it was the regular noise. Right. And why wouldn't you? Of course, that's what you're going to assume. And so they find this tunnel. As it turns out, at some point, he had started digging this tunnel in his basement. No one's really sure when it started. Whatever the case, the night before that final court case, he managed to tunnel into her basement and then attacked her in her bedroom before dragging her body back to his house where he strangled her, dismembered her body, and then stuffed her into a bunch of garbage bags. It doesn't come up on this episode, but I read a suggestion somewhere that he was maybe going to feed her to the snake. Yeah. Didn't they say the snake too was pretty malnourished when they went in the basement? Like it was a huge python, but it was also like not. Yeah. But And then then the article we read they thought her body was a mannequin at first. They thought it was a head, like an armless, legless man- mannequin. And then, then they looked at it further. It was her with it was have, her head and her torso. I have a whole bit I do on stage about that. Like, why, why would it be a mannequin? It's fine. We don't have to get into it. So, yeah, they find her body in all of these garbage bags. Ken is arrested and put in the back of a police van. But, uh-oh, they drive Ken to the station. And when they open the back of the van... He is dead. He hung himself. Despite being handcuffed behind his back, he still managed to fashion his belt into a noose and used it to hang himself. Which is logistically kind of impressive. I know that that sounds morbid, but like... It takes some agility, that's for sure. You gotta be flexible. Did Ken do yoga? Yeah. I mean, I don't... Again, I think that when you're that cracked out, you probably aren't. And he thought... I mean, he said before they put him in the van, he was like, just kill me now. Yeah. Like, he was like, I'm guilty. I'm... I want to die, right? Which also, I believe if they say... I believe, aren't they supposed to kind of watch them if they're like ready to die? Well, that's the whole thing. They don't get into this part a whole bunch on the episode. That's kind of the end of the episode. They find Ken dead and they make a phone. Someone makes a phone call and says Ken killed himself. And that's kind of it. There's no justice to be had. So at the top of the episode, I mentioned they don't give the real names or locations in this episode. I already mentioned Cyril Wecht, who I immediately recognized, even though they put his name in quotes. Like, if you watch enough true crime shows, you can picture Cyril Wecht in your head right now. Like, you know who I'm talking about. And he's an interesting component of this story, especially if you pick up where the episode leaves off, which is with... Ken hanging himself in the back of the police van. The victim in this case was a woman named Ann Hoover. That's Becky's real name. Her killer was Roy Kirk. That is Ken's real name. Crime happened in Pittsburgh in the South Oakland neighborhood. And again, it seems like the show gets the details of this dispute mostly right. And what they don't get into, I mean, for time constraints, obviously, no knock against whoever produced this episode, but they don't get into Roy Kirk's death that much. No, it is like the end of it. It's like, all right, well. Yeah, which I feel like anyone watching this would be like, he did what? He hung himself while, because he didn't just hang himself in the back of a police van. He did it while he was handcuffed behind his back. 
which yeah, that's Houdini no shit. How could he have done that? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I'm not saying someone killed him, but and that kind of became the talking point after this happened, because at the time, which this happened May 1997, Cyril Wecht was the Allegheny County coroner, and he's the one who determined that Roy Kirk would have been agile enough to hang himself in that situation. Here's a quote. I'm strongly leaning toward the idea that Kirk hanged himself in the 20 minutes to half hour that he was left inside the van. But before it left for the police investigations unit, this was an act of great dexterity, balance and positioning to do it in a moving vehicle that is not spacious while going over city streets probably would not have been possible. That's a quote from Cyril Wecht. So he's saying basically, like, if this guy did it before the moving van, why the fuck didn't they notice the hanging body in the back? Well, that's the thing. He's not, like, admonishing the police. He's not saying they are guilty of anything here. Like, they actually asked him at the time if there was any suspicion of police involvement. And his quote was, I do not anticipate charges. We have an open mind but we don't have a hidden agenda. And you would think that would be enough to put the police at ease. Like, okay, Cyril Wex not coming after us in a criminal way. Good enough. And of course not. This is the fucking police we're talking about. Yeah, they don't really have to answer for their crimes. And so as you would expect, Cyril Wecht was like, yeah, there's probably not criminal charges, but I think there are things the police could maybe do to prevent incidents like this in the future. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons he said that is because the death of Roy Kirk or the suicide of Roy Kirk while in Pittsburgh police custody happened less than two years after the highly similar death of a woman named Kelly Finn. She was picked up on drug paraphernalia charges in August 1995, also by Pittsburgh police, and somehow managed to hang herself with her own shoelaces in the back of the police van. So like, Clearly, some updated policies need to be put in place. Or there's some Pittsburgh police that are just murdering these people on their own. That's really like, put your hands behind your back, like act like they're handcuffed and then try and undo your shoelaces. That's what I don't get about the police's response to this because Cyril Wecht is really giving them the benefit of the doubt. He, But like with such vague, probably not, I don't think this, you know what I mean? Like he's not yeah. being like 100% this didn't happen. Yeah. And he's also like he points out that both of them, Roy Kirk and Kelly Finn, were approximately the same height and size. Like they were both very slender and they were both like 5'8", five, 5'9". Five, so they had the exact kind of body you would need to escape that situation. Like you could probably do it. I could not. Like I would just go to jail for murdering the person who wouldn't let me have a bunch of snakes. But you... <laughs> would get to go out the easy way. Which is hang myself with a... Correct. Let me ask you. So you're able to... Okay, so you get your your hands behind your back and then, yeah, I'd be able to get my feet, my arms in between. I'd be able to like... That's what Kelly Finn did. She was able to get her hands in front of her. Yeah. And from there... Getting your thing up there, being able to tie it around. Yeah. With a belt, it's going to be way easier because you just need like a hook. Yeah. And a belt's not going to break from your body weight. Shoestring seems like a whole other thing, but I don't know. Is your theory the police did it? Not really. (laughs) That would be a 
pretty detailed way to kill a person. Like yeah, you could when just, you really could just shoot them in the back and then pretend. Or you could just get them back to the police station and do it there, as opposed yeah. to in the back of a van where there's people gathered around who might hear some commotion. So I, I actually don't think the police killed either of these people. But it is crazy how hard they pushed back just on the suggestion that maybe they should update their policies and procedures a bit. This is another quote from Cyril Wecht. We have to deal with these issues not because of Roy Kirk, but because of public health and safety concerns. The next person in the police van could be somebody who's basically a good citizen, but has been involved in some minor domestic scuffle. Then we could have legal liability issues. And I'm like, oh, you mean like someone who got arrested for drug paraphernalia and did it? Like that's yeah. like something very minor that she would have probably got. Yeah. Yeah. You basically just said. This thing could happen that happened already in 1995, which weird quote. But one of the things Cyril Wecht suggested is like, well, maybe when you if you're going to put someone in a van unsupervised, maybe just like take their shoelaces or their belt or something like that. So they at least can't kill themselves that way. And here's a quote from police chief Robert W. McNeely. I don't think he understands how difficult it is to handle prisoners. It's impossible for officers to start taking clothing away from people before they put them in the wagon. Arresting somebody is an extremely dangerous situation in which officers get hurt all the time. Undressing people on the street just gives them more opportunity to fight an officer and for an officer to get kicked in the face. Sidebar, oh no. Yeah, I know oh. of cases in the lockups where they've taken people's belts or shoelaces, so they try to hang themselves with their shirts or pants. One guy tried to hang himself with his underwear. How far can we go with this? It's like, fuck you, man. Jesus. I mean, first of all, the operative word there is try. They were unable. They was unsuccessfully you know what i like it's like yeah at least give it a shot here's another quote from sergeant carl metz the officer who arrested roy kirk you can't turn around and take one or two incidents and say we need big policy changes i don't believe we do okay I mean, that's, meanwhile that's usually where policy changes happen yeah and <laughs> you dumb fuck like let two cops get shot and killed in the span of two years police will be howling for all of the reforms that need to be made to crack down on criminals Ugh. Even when Cyril Wecht suggested that maybe in cases where someone is going to be in the back of a van for an, a, an extended amount of time, maybe the cops could just make a point of checking on that person every once in a while, because that's what happened with Roy Kirk. They threw him in back of a van and then went and did another 30 minutes worth of police work and then drove him to the station. And that's the first time anyone checked on him after putting him in the van. And he was dead by then. So you would think yeah. just the idea that, hey, maybe, maybe just go check on people when you do that. Here's another fucking quote from police chief Robert W. McNeely. We haul prisoners by the thousands every year. This is one of those extraordinary incidents. It's not unusual for somebody to be in the back of a wagon for 15 minutes while officers are finishing a prisoner roundup or working on a case. Aren't cops just the fucking best? Jesus. God damn it. Like, also, two people have died. I get that Roy Kirk was a real piece of shit, but that's not how the justice system works. Like, no. you don't commit a crime and then die in the back of a police van for it. 
Not to mention Kelly Finn, who was arrested on fucking drug paraphernalia charges. That happens twice in the span of two years. And these motherfuckers are like, we don't need to change anything. This is why people want you reformed. Yeah, a hundred percent. And also or defunded. You rounded up a a defunded. Yeah, you rounded out up a a really dangerous person. Roy is dangerous. Be it mentally ill, not playing with a full deck, the whole thing. But you would think, like, I don't know, logic points to it, even at least before you go to the station to make sure he's at least still in the van. You know what I mean? Like, just like. Well, there was also apparently a window inside the van that they could have just turned their head and looked at him through. And even then, this McNeely guy was like, once officers are in a moving van, they have to be seat belted. And it's like, shut the fuck up. Like, I get that maybe this kind of argument would fly in 1997, but fuck now, because that's when this happened, 1997. Yeah. Like, that's your argument? Oh, our officers have to wear seat belts. It's like, yeah, that's the only law you motherfuckers observe. Yeah. Oh. It's dumb. It's a dumb argument. I know that, that that's very simple, but like, and it's, yeah. It's just crazy that somehow the suicide of this fucking monster turns into one of the craziest parts of this story, because I don't know how, as the police, you don't in that situation go, yeah, shit, we should have just, we should have checked on him. Sorry. Or one guy stay with him. You know what yeah. I mean? Like if they're like, especially if when you drag him out, he's saying, just kill me now. Yeah, he's already. And it's just it's just like the the defund the police. And, you know, which I arguably will say it isn't a great chant because dumb people are like, well, we can't just defund the police. It's like, no, we want to allocate take some funds away and allocate them to whatever. Right. Yes. But like it should at least take longer to become a cop. It takes longer to become a yoga instructor than it does to become a cop. Yeah, there's a lots of there are lots of reforms that need to be put in place when it comes also, to the police. And that again, that's always for years now that has been my gripe with true crime. Like I still watch true crime shows, but I really have kind of taken a turn toward a lot of them in recent years because a lot of them are just a celebration of shitty police work and like apologizing for lazy ass cops. It's like, cool, someone solved a cold case 25 years later. Are we going to talk about the cops 25 years ago who just Mm -hmm. focused on the town black man because that's what conventional wisdom said to do? Like, where's their fucking episode? Because they are criminals too. Yeah, one hundred percent. Gacy, the amount of complaints he got by the smell, the weird behavior, but because he was just a white guy that was like known in in the society or in the like in the town or whatever, they just kept overlooking it, overlooking it, or like, and it's like, well, yeah, how many of those forty two boys' lives could have been saved? If the cops would have, if those cops would have taken one of these allegations halfway seriously, or because of the color of his skin, same thing with Jeffrey Dahmer. Like they gave one of his victims back to him, and that it was a kid, that little boy when he was like, "This is my boyfriend." That like little, like twelve-year-old Filipino boy, I believe. Like, how were the police right then and there? Like, what? He's your what? Your boyfriend? But they didn't. Child, sir. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't give a fuck. And like, no. where's the justice for them? Like, why are they not facing some sort of prosecution or charges? Like, I'm sorry. I've said this before, but mostly about like prosecutors. Mm-hmm. 
But if you go about your job in a way that you know is possibly going to cost someone their life, even though you know you're wrong, like Mm -hmm. you should face charges for that, too. There are so many DAs and prosecutors in this country who should be in prison solely for sending innocent people to prison. That should absolutely be a threat that's hanging over your head the entire time you're a prosecutor. If I knowingly send an innocent person to prison, I'm going to prison. But we don't have that in this country. So our justice system gets ruled by motherfuckers' egos and the idea that, oh, I'm in a higher echelon of society so I can do whatever I want to this person. Try. I even think like getting someone off that you know is dangerous and you know, you know, like like defending someone that you know is guilty and also dangerous and will do it again. But because you want the money, you want. I disagree with that because people. Well, that's how the justice system works. If you commit a crime, you're entitled to a lawyer. Like you can't make every lawyer who defends a guilty person a criminal. But every prosecutor who knowingly sends an innocent person to prison is a criminal. They are a fucking murderer. I just think about like, I don't know, this is this is my I I knew a woman who was was raped uh, several years ago and I was called in to testify. Right. And the woman who was defending this guy uh, basically uh, said that she had sex with him and she didn't want she wanted to cover up her drug problem. It was all fabricated. It was all made up. Right. This guy was already in the system. They found her his semen on her in the rape kit. So he was already in the system for selling uh, illegal guns to undercover cops. And then he rapes her. He gets less than six months in prison because there was like enough, like because she was like, there was an, it was like a second, whatever. She was drunk. Our system, our legal system sucks. But that guy probably got out in three months. But that guy's a rapist. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's like, it's hard for me to be like the process, like, that, guy, but, that guy's not a murderer, but there's people that are murderers that we get off and then we're like, go out into the world, probably the, murder someone else. Yeah, the difference is you're talking about the justice system as it's technically supposed to work. Yeah, it's icky. And <laughs> like these prosecutors who will get evidence that clearly exonerates someone they've sent to prison. And because. Oh, that's what you're talking about. Yeah, okay. like. Like it ends up being the case. It ends up being ego. It ends up being, well, no, I was right. I've convinced the family I was right. So now evidence doesn't matter. It mattered when we were at trial. But now since I've won, evidence doesn't matter. Those people should burn. Those people should get the fucking death penalty. I am not in favor of the death penalty. But while it's around, I say corrupt prosecutors should get it that's yeah i did i okay i know what you're saying now i'm like well if we're gonna go after them because like well i thought you were saying like no. if you're defending if you're trying to get an innocent person but you mean later they find out that that person is innocent and then they don't do anything about it and it they happens don't want to admit all the time it happens Ugh. all the fucking time and yeah i think those people should go to prison i mean i also don't think our our system is as brilliant as everyone thinks it is like jury duties bananas who thinks our justice system's brilliant i'm just saying that's how it works yeah yeah i guess that's true but there i mean a lot of people who say make america great again are the ones that (laughs) that think it's brilliant but you hear it all the time like we have this is the only system in the world that your peers and it's like well no there's yeah well at least until trump got indicted i'm sure they won't have that argument 
anymore. I don't think they're going to be able. I don't know how the hell they're going to get anyone that's not biased in that case. Yeah. How they got anyone to like a grand jury to vote to vote for indictment? Is it vote? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, for indictment. Yeah, I don't even know how they have anybody that's who's neutral about that guy at this point. You know what I mean? Who knows? Yeah. But yeah. But also, have you found out? Did you look into it all? And I, I should have maybe looked at this too. But did Roy have family? Was there normally in these cases? There's some. There's people on both sides that are like, and there's only people. Yeah, they two names in my head. And I'm calling her Becky, but I don't think that's a real name. Yeah, they don't really say. Like they imply that maybe he got money from his family, but his family never comes up in this. And there is no one being interviewed on Roy's behalf, which in this case is probably fine. Like it's pretty cut and dry what happened here. Yeah. Now I'm trying to now I'm trying to Google it real quick, but I, I'm, not, I'm, not a, I'm not a very good Googler. Like I like I, it'll take me twice as long to find something that'll find you take you like two seconds. And I'm like, all right, well, for Google. So I, I but I'm just curious. Yeah, I don't know if they're like, oh, man, this guy always because normally people that are like this, they've moved from another town that they did something similar to. You know what I mean? Like Roy got kicked out of another town where he was trying to do this. And probably. Yeah. But yeah, they don't touch on any of that. Jesus Christ. What an episode. Yeah. I get why it's the number one rated episode. Tunnel of Hate is such a horrifying. Yeah. And he dragged her body back through that hole, right? Yeah. I'm always. Upper body strength that takes. I know. I know. And to do it without leaving a trail of blood. I thought that was yeah. interesting. He maybe even carried her. They're just speculating that he dragged her. But how did you carry her through the hole? It was just a man. Well, I mean, down there, he's going to have to drag her, obviously. But there was no like blood trail running through her house. They only found blood in her upstairs bathroom or bedroom. Maybe he wrapped her in plastic, which would make it much easier to slide through a hole because the body parts, you know. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. But I guess no one ever will know. We will never know because... Roy Kirk will never face justice because the Pittsburgh police are too fucking lazy to check on someone in the back of a van. Or dumb to think that they should check on someone in the back of the van, right? Dumb and lazy? Can we yeah. call them that? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, I think that's our takeaway from the episode. A cab. Kim, yeah. thank you so much for doing the pod. Adam, I appreciate thanks it. Thanks for having me. Do you have anything to plug before we get out of here? Um, you know the usuals. I have a podcast called Crawl Space. It's out every Wednesday. Uh, I have a Patreon podcast with people, a guy you all know, Jeff May, um, called uh, Fine, We Have a Podcast. It's um, on a Patreon exclusive. So you can go over to either one of our Patreons, patreon.com slash Kim Carl or Jeff May. And I have a book out in the world, uh, Confessions of a Recovering Party Girl, if you'd like to pick that up. Very that nice. Rad. Yeah. Um, How about you, friend? I, there is a new spinoff podcast uh, coming from the makers of Pretty Scary, which uh, you should be on the lookout for. And subscribe to my Substack, adamtodbrown.substack.com. And I think that's it. Let's get the fuck out of here. Kim, say goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. We love you. <laughs>